Hey, welcome. My name is Chris. Some people call me CP 5.0 because uh, I've been graced to be around here a while and I'm in my 50th year and so enjoying that. I just want to let you guys know for tonight, my family, some of my family's here. My wife Rita, my daughter Bryn, and my son Bradley are here. So they don't always get a chance to be here. So one of the things that we do at the well is we open the word. And we want to sort of open the word and let God speak to us from his word. And all semester long, we've been focused on the gospel of John. And our focus in the gospel of John has been different encounters that different people have with Jesus. And tonight we're going to focus on John chapter 8, where a woman encounters Jesus who's caught in the act of adultery. And so, in order to get ready for that, I want to ask you a question that I want you to talk about with somebody next to you just for a minute. So, do you remember a time when you were a child or when you were younger, say in elementary school, middle school, wherever, when you caught caught red-handed doing something wrong? Do you remember that? I mean, so I want to tell you a story of my own life, and then I'm going to let you guys talk on your own. So when I was about Bradley's age, who's in sixth grade, I picked up a really bad habit in the summertime. We would go down to the drugstore, and we would steal candy from the drugstore, about 4 or $5 worth of candy, once or twice a week, all summer long. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And I picked up a really bad habit of stealing. And it started to get worse. And one of the things that I did in my life was I took a lot of tennis lessons because my dad was a huge tennis player. And I went to like tournament training one, tournament training two. And one time when this habit of stealing and this pattern, this negative thing going on of stealing happened, I went to my tennis club and I saw in the pro shop some headbands and some wristbands. That was the era of Bjorn Borg when, you know, you had the headband and the sweatbands on your wrists and I stole a set of headbands and wristbands and I walked out and my tennis pro, Mark, caught me. And he called me aside, and he made me go sit in his office. And he said, I'll be back. I'm going to leave it there. I'll tell you the rest of the story a little bit later. But what I want you to do is just turn to somebody in, in a playful way, whatever. Talk just for a minute about sometime you got caught doing something, whether that's eating, sneaking food, or whatever. Talk for a minute amongst yourselves.
Yeah, they can just when it's they can, Okay. I didn't realize you guys are going to have that many stories. So, all right. So, in order to open God's Word tonight, we're going to do it in a different way. We're going to do a dramatic reading. So, I invite you to pay attention now as we um, get ready. <laughs> to read the scripture from John chapter 8. This is the word of the Lord from John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. He said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Give him a hand. You guys can... Good job, you guys. Thank you. So I wonder what they were thinking and how they were feeling. The woman, the crowd, the leaders, Jesus. I remember when I got caught stealing those wristbands and the headband. I remember sh I was shaking so badly. My hand was just trembling. And as I thought about it, getting ready for this message, I thought, what would the woman have been like? She would have had a trembling hand and her whole body probably was shaking in fear because she was close to death. If you imagine her situation, she was pulled from a private affair. We don't know whether it was the first or there was one of many. All we know is that she was caught in the act of adultery, dragged through the streets, and she was thrust out in front of everybody, out in the public square, struggling to cover herself up, vulnerable, without excuse, trembling. And if you can picture the crowd, the angry crowd, they smell the scent of a scandal. powerful leaders in the crowd, supposedly seeking justice for the community and on behalf of God, this blatant violation of the law of Moses, they hatched an ingenious plan to trap Jesus, to attack him. And they were using, if not even abusing this woman in the process to get Jesus. And in the middle of it all sits Jesus who was teaching and now sees this woman in front of him. So as I think about the message, the first thing I think about is the woman and how vulnerable and how terrified she must have been and how trembling her, her body must have been. And when I move next, I tend to think of the Pharisees and the other people, perhaps with rocks, perhaps not, but with the spirit of a clenched fist around a rock. You see, they had a legitimate claim. In Leviticus 20, there's numbers of instructions about why different activities need to be punished by stoning. It wasn't an easy thing to do. You had to have two or three witnesses in order for it to happen, and there was many clauses in how you could be let go and experience grace, but if you were caught and guilty, you could be stoned for the act of adultery and many other things if you look in Leviticus chapter 20. And Jesus is caught in this trap of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. See, if he forgives her, then he's condoning her behavior and is saying and going against the law of Moses. If he says to stone her, then he's no friend of sinners. 
And he's in violation of the Roman authorities and their expectation, their law, their rule that the Jewish people could not execute justice or a death sentence without their permission. And so you can see this tense moment, this intense moment with Jesus and the woman surrounded by the Pharisees and by the crowd. Now, for a moment, let's pause and see some of the problems with their charge. You see, the Pharisees were using the woman as a tool or a prop to get Jesus. One problem was is that you were required to have two witnesses to the act of adultery. And in the morning, for something that would happen in private, you had to have two witnesses. So you can start to imagine this was probably a trap. Because how would in the morning someone witness the act of adultery that would happen in private? Now, I'm going to ask the second question is this, is all the women are already way ahead of me, is where is the man? Both deserve punishment under the law. So somehow they had set up a trap where the woman would get caught, the man would get away, and they would bring this woman as a tool to get at Jesus. And even though they seem to have a public outcry about their desire to preserve God's holiness and against the violation of the law in their community, it seems as if these accusers don't care less about the holiness of God or the horror of sin. All they think is, we've got Jesus now. How many laws did they have to break in order to catch this woman caught in adultery? How many windows did they have to look through? Or how many different things did they have to do to arrange to get her in this vulnerable position? But they're angry. And they want Jesus. And then I see this amazing moment where Jesus, who is sitting, stoops down and draws in the dirt. And when all the focus was on the woman, somehow he takes the focus off of her and brings it onto himself. He stoops and gets lower than everybody else, right? The, the crowd is up. The leaders are up. They're all intensely up. The woman is here, bent over, probably drooped, probably flushed with shame. And Jesus gets low and stoops on her behalf. Now we don't know what he wrote. It doesn't say. All we know is it was convicting. There's been, in what I read, there was different ideas. Maybe he wrote the names of some of the leaders. Maybe he wrote some of the words of the Ten Commandments. 
Maybe he just wrote in the dirt to be a distraction from the woman so that they would start to realize their sadistic cruelty. John Calvin, who some of you have heard of, famous leader back about 500 years ago, remarked, Christ intended by doing nothing to show how unworthy the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were of being heard. So the first thing that Jesus does on her behalf, and in some ways, as we place ourselves in the story, if we can identify with a woman, Jesus stoops on her behalf. And Jesus, throughout his life and in his posture of ministry, stoops on our behalf as well. He was the God who was willing to make himself nothing, becoming born as a human. He's the one who was willing to stoop and wash the disciples' feet. He's the one willing to stoop and care for children. Jesus stoops for us. The next thing he does is he stands. He places himself between the crowd and the woman. And now they can't get to her without going through Jesus. If any one of you is without sin, cast the first stone. They're disarming words from Jesus. They're revealing the blind spots of everybody there. It wasn't a requirement for perfection. But it was signaling the blatant abuse of the situation. And calling those people who were saying they were witnesses of this adultery. And witnesses of the situation that went on with the woman. And Jesus brilliantly redefines the categories because when it starts, you think there's the guilty, the woman, and the righteous. But Jesus redefines the situation, says there's sinners who admit and there's sinners who deny. And Jesus says those words, if any one of you is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And then he bends down again and starts drawing in the dirt. And he leaves the silence. And then one by one, like you saw in the reading, in the dramatic reading, they left. The older ones first. It's a funny detail, isn't it? Why the older ones first? Were they wiser? Were they more aware, more sinful, more guilty? Now, if I tell you a little bit about my story, I'll be honest with you, in my life, the time I probably struggled with an unforgiving spirit or a spirit of judgment was when I was in college. I was trying to live out my faith as a Christ follower to respond to his grace. But when I was at school at Hope College, there was a lot of people living a lot of different ways. Some people said they were Christians and they weren't really practicing it. Some people weren't connected to faith at all, but doing a lot of things and it was in your face. 
sort of like what you experience here. And sometimes when you saw that behavior, sometimes that hypocrisy, it was easy to get a hard heart. But luckily, over time, God started to change that in me. It wasn't always true, but it was something I saw rise up on me in college. And maybe that's true for you as you live out your faith here at Grand Valley, surrounded by a lot of different people who live a lot of different ways. So as Jesus is bent down writing in the sand, all the people disappear one by one, the older ones first. And then Jesus rises up again, and there's only two people left in the scene, Jesus and the woman, this amazing encounter. The woman and Jesus, the lawbreaker and the lawgiver. And he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? And as she is formulating her answer, would you formulate yours? Because we all struggle with voices of accusation, don't we? What would Jesus find you caught in the very act of? What would he find me? Would it be immorality? Would it be stupidity? Would it be dishonesty, anger, slander, gossip? What are the voices you struggle with? Whether it be from someone else, voices in your head. You're not good enough. You'll never improve. You failed again. How can you call yourself a Christ follower? Voices in our world, voices in our heads, voices some from your parents, some from your professors, some from your peers. And perhaps even from the evil one. Because it says in Revelation, verse, Reve, the book of Revelations in chapter 12, verse 9, it describes the evil one as the accuser. That's one of the names for the evil one, for Satan. It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God day and night, he has been hurled down and they triumphed over the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. <coughs> but isn't that how God works? Right in John 10.10, 10, it says that the thief has come to what? Steal kill and destroy. But it says that Jesus has come that I, might, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You see, here's the reality of how we connect to the story. Is that I hope you see yourself as the woman in the story. And the reality is, is that just as the woman had her accusers you and I have our accusers. And we have the evil one who's named the accuser. And the great accuser is going to try and repeat the same John 8 scenario with you and with me. March you through the streets. 
drag your name through the mud, accuse you, call you a hypocrite, a cheat, a liar, a fraud. But you're unlovable. But here's the really cool part. What Jesus did for the woman, he does for you and for me. He stoops and he stands on your behalf. Christ has even done more for you than he did for the woman. He stood beside her, but he, by his death and by his resurrection, can live inside of you and me. He can live inside you, work inside of you, set you free, give you new life. And the good news is that the accuser cannot accuse you because when he looks at you, if you're in Christ, it says in Colossians 3 that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness, not your own need. When you're united with Christ by faith in him. So Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. He speaks for you. He advocates for you. <clears throat> There's a story I found which I really, really like. It's from Max Lucado. I'm going to tell it to you. So, there was a little boy who was shooting rocks with his slingshot. And he could never hit the target. And one day when he's at his grandma's house, he takes a rock and he spies across the backyard at his grandma's house and he sees a duck. He's like, Whew. and he aimed and he hit the duck. And the duck was dead. And the boy panicked and hid the bird in the woodpile, only to look up and to see his sister watching. And after lunch that day, Grandma told Sally to help with the dishes. And Sally responded, Johnny told me that he wanted to help with the dishes. <laughs> Don't you, Johnny? And she whispered, remember the duck. <laughs> so Johnny did the dishes. What choice did he have? For the next several weeks, he was at the sink often. Sometimes for his duty, sometimes for his sin. Sal would remind him, remember the duck, every time that he objected. And after a while, even though he'd been so weary of the chore, he decided that any punishment would be better than washing more dishes. So he confessed to his grandma for killing the duck. And Grandma said, I know Johnny. She gave him a hug. She says, I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. And I wondered how long you'd let Sally make a slave out of you. He thought his confession would destroy him. When in the reality, the one who loved him was waiting for him to admit his sin so that he could receive freedom from his guilt. So my question for you tonight is this. Who's accusing you?
Some of you are brand new to Christianity. And there's a lot of things that you're trying to sort out and you're wondering, how can I ever come to Jesus? What I want you to know is, is that Jesus knows already. And you can come. Some of you have been united to Christ for a while. But there's been some things building up in you that, are acu- that the evil one or your own thoughts or whatever are accusing you. See, when Jesus encountered the woman, he placed her in grace. He says, woman, neither do I condemn you. Then he called her to a new life. Go therefore and sin no more. She didn't have to be perfect. Go now and leave your life of sin. It says in Romans 8.1, excuse me, Romans 8.1, therefore, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus forgives her. And it's not just an easy, cheap forgiveness like sin doesn't matter. Because when Jesus says those words to her, neither do I condemn you, he knows at some point he's going to pay for that word of forgiveness with his own life. See, Jesus was the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And the statement that he spoke to the woman had the full weight of Jesus' life on it. And let's face it, for those of us who have truly met the message of forgiveness in Christ, we can begin to get up and walk from that point as persons living in response to the grace that had the full weight of Jesus' life on it. Many people over the centuries are uneasy with this story and how it ends. Feels like it's easy on, easy on sin. Naive. That Jesus is letting her get away with adultery. She'll do it again. If we know we'll be forgiven, people will sin more. But here's what you need to know. Forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Being forgiven doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. On the contrary, forgiveness means that sin does matter, but that God is choosing to remove it. And here's what I've learned over the years, is that grace is more powerful than guilt. If you know that you deserve to be stoned, and all of us deserve to be stoned in a metaphorical sense, if you've experienced grace and new life that Jesus Christ has to offer, if you've felt the love that Jesus Christ has lavished on you, then I doubt that anyone could say that I want sin more than I want Christ. We should be filled with gratitude because of all that God has done for us because we deserve so much different than what we've received through Jesus Christ. Remember I told you about stealing the armbands and the headbands? So Coach Mark, he pulls me into his office. I can still feel it. 
And he says, Chris? I don't think he said Christopher, because that's what my mom said when I was bad. <laughs> um, Chris, you're better than this. And he took the armbands back, and he never told my parents. You know how much I've stolen since then? Nothing. That I can think of. <laughs> it changed me. It stopped the behavior. So here's my question for you tonight. Right? We handed out rocks when you guys got here. Pick up the rock if you don't have it. I'm not sure how God's been prompting you during this service. But my invitation to you tonight is to drop the rock. Maybe some of you it's forgiving a specific someone. Maybe you have been ravaged by bitterness and anger and judgment. And tonight you just need to drop the rock that you've been holding for that person. Doesn't mean there's not consequences later if there's been some terrible thing that's happened to you, but maybe you need to release and forgive that someone because there's an unknown quote that I have. It says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. And here's the deal. In all my years at Grand Valley, there's always this one kind of person that everyone seems to have the hardest time forgiving. We have been so hurt and forgiven by this person. Let us down so many times. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. And some of you need to learn how to drop the rock that you've been aiming at yourself. Ravaged by guilt and shame, disappointment. And maybe some of you in this room are tempted to think, Chris... Yeah, I know God loves everyone but me. If God knew, he wouldn't love me. Here's what I want you to hear. You are not the exception to God's acceptance. God loves you. God knows what you're going through and is waiting for you to come to him. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you to the woman. He says the same powerful thing to you. And that grace then gives you the power to start to repent and change because God so completely loves you. Here's the coolest thing. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, was the only one who could throw a stone. And he chose not to. Instead, he stooped and he stood and eventually took on that punishment that she deserved. And he's done the same for you and I. God loves you. And God wants to release you. Tonight, what we're going to do is have a season of song, three songs after my message and then a benediction. 
And during this time, what I'm hoping is, is that you can focus on what needs, what does this rock need to be for you? Is it someone you need to forgive? Is it you forgiving yourself? Is it you releasing a situation to God that you've been trying to control and fix? And what we want you to do is, there's no rush. Sometime during the three songs, if you want to, I want you to come forward and just drop the rock at the foot of the cross and release it into God's work that he's done by his death and by his resurrection. And so we're just so going to have that. And we're not going to be like, everybody needs to come up. If you don't want to come up, that's fine. But if you do, you can sort of make your way out whenever you want. And I hope that it's just a season of time where you can experience the power and the freedom of forgiveness that God wants for you to live into. So I'm going to pray a prayer as I finish, and then we're going to go into that season of song. And it's a prayer written by Ken Geyer from a book that I love called Moments of the Savior, and it's about this passage. So will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord Jesus, I confess with shame that there are times when I have stood in the midst condemned. And there are times that I have stood in the crowd condemning. There are times my heart has been filled with adultery and there are times my hands have been filled with stones. Forgive me for a heart that is so prone to wander, so quick to forget my vows to you. Forgive me too for my eagerness in bringing you the sins of others and my reluctance in bringing you my own. Thank you for those sweet words of forgiveness. Neither do I condemn you. Words that flow so freely from your lips. Words that I have heard so often when I have stumbled. And in the strength of those unmerited words, help me to go my way and to sin no more. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit.